0: The year was 1887, and uh, there was a a preacher uh, by the name that I spoke a lot, I've spoken a lot of, used lots of illustrations, probably my favorite preacher from history, um, by a man named Charles Spurgeon, the famous uh, pastor, Baptist pastor in England, and uh, what was interesting about Charles Spurgeon was, was that by the time that he was deceased at 57, so this is about four years before he died... He was in charge of like 50 something different ministries that were kind of under the hub of the Charles Spurgeon ministry. And one of those uh, was a monthly news magazine, Christian magazine, called The Sword and the Trowel. And uh, in 1887, one of his friends uh, wrote an article entitled The Downgrade. And from then on, for almost a year, Spurgeon and his friend wrote article after article about this concept of what they called the downgrade. Now in these series of articles, Spurgeon and others um, were, were trying to attempt to warn uh, their congregations, people, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, people who claim to be Christians, he They they set out to warn the church against the dangers of drifting away from the Word of God and what it meant historically to be a Christian. They defined the downgrade as this biblical truth is like the pinnacle of a steep, slippery mountain. One step away, and you'll find yourself on the downgrade. Once a church or individual Christian gets on the downgrade, the momentum takes over and the downslide gets worse. So in essence, they're talking about this word image of the slope on a hill or the slope on a mountain, that That once you get the momentum of taking a step off from the very top of it, it's easier than just to to continue that ball rolling down the side of the hill or the mountain. Now, when I was a kid, I'm old now, so I can say this. When I was a kid, we used to do this thing called go outside. And when you went outside, there would be these hills. And we've, we used to roll down, this is before you were afraid of ticks and your mama covered you with all kinds of stuff to keep the bugs, ticks, diseases away, and we would lay down in the grass and we would roll. Anybody else do this? Especially in the summertime. You, you would get to rolling, and as you would get to rolling, what would happen? You'd pick up speed, and it was always fun if there was a people standing down there, because you'd kind of roll over them like a bowling ball in some pins. This is what we call playing outside, new concept, Right? But it was a lot of fun, and you could see that once the momentum was taking place, that it was, it was almost impossible to stop. And so um, I think in a very prophetic way, Spurgeon and his group of friends that were writing these articles saw what was taking place within the church at England, and they were trying to say that, that we've got to stop the church, from going on the downgrade because once you start going down the slope, it's nearly impossible to course correct. Now, I grew up in church, so I've been Christianized enough. Maybe you heard it put this way. you got to be careful, brother and sister, from that backsliding. Right? You ever heard that term in church? If you had, I'm sorry. But it's the same thing as kind of looking at the downgrade. It's, It's what we call here at Mission, fighting the drift. Because once you begin to drift, you will often wake up way away from the centrality of Jesus and the gospel. But you did not get there by a giant leap. You got there by moving inches and inches, centimeters and centimeters, away from the person and work of Jesus, away from his word. They noticed... More and more, the church was moving away from Jesus. That the church was moving toward entertainment. That it was moving toward comfort. That it was moving toward what we call pragmatism, or the ability to create methods in order to to win people to the cause, or win people to the church. But that does not always equate, and most of the time it does not, a winsome mentality towards Jesus. And his word. They're often asking the question. I mean, a little over a hundred years ago, they were asking, man, what's gonna get people to come here? And more importantly, how can we keep them here by whatever means necessary? So they were more concerned with the appeasement of people, with the entertainment of people, with the comfort of people, than they were at the end of the day asking, is God? Pleased with what is taking place in the life of the church. Very serious problem. Let's make the word of God more palatable to the taste buds of the people. Let's, let's do whatever we can do to attract more people. Because more people attending the church equals that God's hand is in it. Right? Wrong. Wrong. So while more people are coming, while more people are being entertained, while more people are being comforted, they're, again, losing step with the person and work of Jesus. Now, I've not been to Europe to look around in in quite some time. I've only been in airports in that part of the country, but from what I know from history is that there are lots of empty church buildings in England right now. There have been lots of church buildings that have been turned into bars and restaurants or flattened and turned into something else. What Spurgeon saw, what his friends, what his colleagues who were staying true to the centrality of God's word and the person and work of Jesus, what they saw came to fruition. And yet this issue that's taking place within the church is not a new issue. It's the same issue that was taking place as Paul is writing to Timothy and and there is this movement away. I mean, we're talking maybe maybe 20, maybe 30 years away from the person and, and work of Jesus physically being on the planet and and the church has already gone Wayward. How, would he, how do we make this more palatable? How do we make this more uh, appeasing? Quit talking about this, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Stop talking about, you know, giving your life, taking up your cross. Let's, let's remove all of those things from the, the truth of God's word and let's make it in, in such a way that people it really enjoy being a part of this. Let's make it an experience. And yet in 2019, just like in 1887, we seem to be facing the exact same problems. This morning, I'm going to preach a sermon on preaching. I'm going to preach a sermon on the seriousness of preaching, on the charge of preaching, the purpose of preaching, and the war against preaching. Because I think that's what we see here within this text and looking at the context of our, our passage that Galen read for us today as Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4 verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word, be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching the seriousness of preaching the seriousness of preaching Paul illustrates when he says to Timothy I charge you in the presence of God and these and these witnesses Jesus Christ the judge See, the weightiness of preaching, the burden of preaching, of doing what I'm doing exactly this morning is is not merely the the desire to serve you well and to serve you faithfully, but it's the realization that one day that I and whoever is standing and preaching and proclaiming God's word, whether it's at a coffee shop on the side of the street or in a pulpit, is that We will not only stand before you, but more importantly, one day we will stand before God, giving an account for every word or non-word that has come out of the pastor's mouth. This is a serious charge. I watched this week as my father-in-law wrestled with this same weightiness as he was called to preach this morning. Um, at a friend's church that's going through a a massive split. And they called Larry, who was a former pastor, as a friend, because they needed someone to fill the pulpit. And he had not done this in quite some time. And so all week, Larry, one of our members here, has been wrestling with the the reality that, that he is going to be preaching this morning. So say a prayer for Larry. That he's going to be proclaiming to people and that, guess what? These people are sitting in a situation that is similar to what Timothy is sitting in where the church is split and there's people who have left the church and it's dwindled down to probably 10 people and they're all upset and they're all angry and they're hurt and they're just, they're just ripped and so the, the temptation is merely just to preach um, into that situation. And yet, the calling of the pastor is, is to preach in that weightiness that no, you will, yes, stand before these people, but even more, you will stand before an almighty God. And that is no joke. So Paul reminds young Timothy of this. If there's anything that the pastor of the mega church and the pastor of a smaller church has in common is that they will both stand before an almighty, holy God who does not take his word lightly and be judged on, on, on not how many were in their flock, but on how faithful they were to the very word of God. How did they handle the preached word of God? See, brothers and sisters, the small town pastor may not not be a celebrity, but God knows everything about them. God knows every word, every motive by the pastor. See, you may not feel the tension in this verse, but I know a few of us do. Weightiness that is coming can often be overwhelming at times. See, the congregation, you have a responsibility to hold the preacher's uh, hands to the fire. That fire being the Word of God. You're to make sure that we remain true to the Word of God, that we're accountable to the Word of God, that we are preaching the Word of God. And yet, there is a greater judge. There is one who will hold us to even more accountability, and that is God Himself. This is why James is going to write in his letter in James chapter 3 verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We see in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for... Uh, that would be of no advantage to you. We've seen this mentality. This is what, what it's getting at, is that, that, man, God is watching the preaching. This is, as we learned in the last few weeks, that, that from Genesis to Revelation, that this is the Word of God, That it is the breathed out Word of God. And it's not something to be toyed with. It is not merely a textbook to learn, but it is, it is something that should be withheld within us to have high regard that this is God's word and he has given it to you and it is good for you. Every line, every story, everything that happens within this word, it is for you. It is a gift of grace to you. It's God's gift. For you and for me. See it is possible brothers and sisters. For a man to be faithful in preaching. And yet be hated by his congregation. And yet God very pleased with him. That tension to want to cower down. Is a weekly struggle for the preacher. Who's trying to remain faithful to God's word and not himself. Go down the slippery slope of the downgrade. So we see here in this passage the seriousness of the preaching. God is watching that God is judging. And next we see the charge of preaching. What does he say to do? And by his appearing... And his king, kingdom, it's, this is imperative, it means it's a command here, preach the word. The charge of preaching, brothers and sisters, is, is, is not to make us feel good. Um, the charge of preaching is, is not to just come up with story after story after story after story. The, the charge of preaching isn't to be entertaining. The charge of preaching isn't to be humorous. And it's not that all of those things in and of themselves are all necessarily bad. I don't think that God has a problem with us being good communicators. However, the the ultimate goal isn't so that you walk away from here remembering some story that was shared and missing the person and work of Jesus. The charge of preaching isn't so that I can be cute or to come up with some illustration alone that that you can just really hold on to. Whereas I was told, man, we, we go to this church because the pastor is funny. What a bad reason to go to a particular church. But rather, Paul is telling Timothy to do what? Preach the word. What does the word preach mean? It means the herald. It means to proclaim. It means to proclaim aloud. is isn't something that can be done silently, but should be done passionately. And, and it, is, um, it is a full body experience. And yet, we preach again. What? The subject of our preaching, the the driving force of our preaching is the Word. The Word. He goes on to say, be ready at all times. This is an urgent command. Be always ready to share the Word of God when it is both convenient and inconvenient. I just want you to know, anytime that I show up to my parents' church, I got something in my pocket. All right. And that's because, and and Pastor Justin probably experienced this maybe when he goes to his daddy's church. But sometimes when you go home and they know you're a preacher, especially in the Pentecostal denomination I showed up in, that means that you need to be ready in season or out of season. Because at any moment, the Holy Ghost is going to fall on you and you're going to be the one called up to come up and preach. So you always got a sermon in your pocket when you go home, all right? Because at any moment, Pastor Eric, why don't you come on, Brother Eric, that's what it would be called at my parents' church, Brother Eric, why don't you come on up here and share, to, share, share something from your heart? Which, just in case you know this, any time a pastor says, I'm going to share from the heart, that is your excuse to get up and leave, all right? That is, I'm just, I, I thought about preparing this week. But I'm just going to share from the heart. Get up and leave. All right? Your time would be better spent at Cracker Barrel. All right? And it's going to last forever. All right? Mine lasts forever, but at least I got some bullet points on a sheet of paper. All right? And we know those are from God. He's making that junk up. All right? As he goes right no the the charge is to preach the word of god at all times no matter where you are convenient and inconvenient and i've been in some uncomfortable situations where it's like man am i going to am i going to speak to this or am i going to keep my mouth shut and yet the scripture says he's charging this you got you got to understand the word picture here paul's passing the baton Brother is about to be headed for doing this very thing, for preaching the word. Young Timothy, he's, he's wondering, man, all this is coming against him. Church people are coming against him. The culture is coming against him. You know, maybe they don't have enough chicken for the potluck. I don't know what it is, but there's enough chaos going on in this little church inside of Ephesus that the, that the brother is wandering. He's, he's, he could be slipping and yet Paul is saying, God is watching you, brother. Now preach, proclaim the word of God. That's what they need. That's what your church people need. See, brothers and sister, the church often calls a pastor to do things that Jesus never does. If you want to know the mark of a faithful pastor, is how he is preaching the word of God. This is his primary calling. On the list of qualifications that singles him out from the other people within the congregation, the other men within the congregation, is what? The ability to preach. The ability to teach. God has not called the pastor to babysit. God has not called the pastor to provide social gatherings or to cook potlucks or, or be at every event, but rather God has called the pastors To preach the Word of God. We are fulfilling God's calling the most when we are standing or sitting before you with our Bibles open, pointing to you, Jesus, through the Word of God. One of my favorite pastors, authors, um, speakers, I like his wit and his sarcasm, is a guy named Jared Wilson. And this week I learned of two Jared Wilson pastors. I learned of this guy, Jared Wilson, who writes some great books. I would encourage you to read Jared Wilson's books. But he, he tweeted out this week, he, he wrote out a, a, a statement I just love. He said, putting some Bible verses in your sermon is not the same thing as preaching the Bible. Did you get that? And do you know the difference? I was around a preacher one time and he said, man, at this church we preach Jesus. That's all we do is we preach Jesus. And I would add to Jared Wilson's quote here, tweet here, just saying the name of Jesus in a sermon isn't preaching Jesus either. So much truth to the understanding of what's really taking place. Also, if you paid attention to the news this week, we've learned of another Jared Wilson. Very famous pastor of a mega church in California. Who a week ago was in the baptistry, baptizing a young lady in his church. At a lake, actually. And on Monday, was found dead because he killed himself. Been a huge advocate. For pastors and for people with mental illness. Started a whole organization to help people to do those same things. And yet the weightiness within his own life. Led him to a very darkened path. He could not escape. And what's crazy is, because of the weightiness and the seriousness of preaching, because of the charge of preaching, and because of all the expectations that are often placed onto pastors that the Bible never puts upon them, some they do, some, some, some expectations are biblical expectations, we should have those. But there are a lot of other things that are going on and placed onto the pastors from church people that God never has placed on there, and many are crushed under the weight of, of it. That's why the average lifespan of a pastor in ministry is two and a half to three years. They simply cannot handle it. It's serious. The charge of preaching is, is serious. And again, sprinkling a little Bible verse or uh, of the name of Jesus occasionally within a sermon does not mean or equate that you're preaching The Word of God. We are called brother pastors to preach the Word of God. You as congregation members should have the expectations that our preachers are going to preach the Word of God. They are going to expound on the Word of God. But in order for that to take place and for you to know the difference, what do you have to know? The Word of God. The Word of God. You have to know the difference between pop psychology and teaching the word of God and preaching the word of God. Why? Because there is the purpose of preaching. Paul tells Timothy that in this charge of preaching that it's to reprove, rebuke and exhort. Reprove means pastor. It means that using the word shows us where we are wrong. The, the rebuking, it, it is is the, the church discipline is taking place every time the pastor is preaching. But the good thing is, is we're not just led with some reproof. We're not just led with some, re, left with some rebu- rebuke, but, but rather to end that, Paul tells Timothy that the preaching of the gospel is also to exhort. What does exhort mean? To call, to persuade to encourage, to strengthen. Can I let you into a little preaching insight? I know what you mean when you say this or when church people say this. Sometimes I'm greeted um, at the end of a sermon um, by good intentions or people with good intentions and they'll be like, whoo, pastor, stepped all over my toes today. Crushed my feet today. right?" And I know what you mean about it. What you're trying to say about that. But you know that the the intent is never meant simply to crush toes and leave you there. But it is to crush hearts and then to be there as God heals it. It's to apply the salve of the gospel to the wounds. But we don't understand the need for, the, for the, the, the medication of the gospel until we realize how bad we are. But if all we leave is with a, a crushed spirit and a crushed mentality without having heard the gospel pouring and covering over that, then, then we've actually missed the point. We've missed it. And sometimes that's, that's the preacher's fault. Sometimes that's the, the listener's fault. But we see this within the preaching of God's word, this important thing that should be happening at, at every sermon. If, you, man, if every sermon you walk away feeling great and there's no charge or correction, we understand that there's a problem there as well. That we should preach, if we're preaching the word, then we should preach the tone of the, the word that, that we're preaching. But we can't be afraid of reproof. We can't be afraid of rebuke. And we certainly live in a culture we need much more encouragement than we're getting. But it can't just be encouragement. Do we understand that? It's got to be both. It's got to be both of those things. We see here as well that Paul tells Timothy to, to do this with complete patience and teaching. Patience in preaching. I don't like that passage. I don't like being told that I need to have more patience with you. Because it's really frustrating. And I think that um, just by way of an example, I think that I can help you understand what it's like. For those of you who have parent, or, or your parents in the room, or maybe you have employees, right? One of the most frustrating things for me as a parent is, is having to teach my child the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And we're, we're not talking about calculus here. We're talking about a light switch. Look, flip it one way, light comes on. Flip it another way, light goes off. On, off. On, off. Now imagine just for a moment, not only did you purposely teach them that practice of turning on and off the light switch, um, but you were, you were gracious in that. You showed it over and over and over again. But, but you became creative and you even came up with a PowerPoint slideshow to put on their iPad or a YouTube video on how to turn off and on the light right? So you gave them an instruction manual. This is how you turn off and on the light. You go out of a room, you turn it off. You come into the room, you guess what you do? You turn it on, right? I'm not a Scrooge. If you're in the room, turn it on. If you leave the room, turn it off, right? Anybody, Anybody got a similar parenting story? You teach the same thing over and over and over and over. You give them an instruction manual, and you say, here's all the instructions that you need for whatever's taking place, right? And yet they still don't get it. Still can't turn that light off. Preaching is very much like that. We got one sermon Jesus lived, Jesus is God, Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died upon a cross, the cross that you and I deserve to be placed upon. He was put into a borrowed tomb, but on praise be to God, He is not here. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus rises from the grave to reconcile you to God, to not only take a death that you should have took, but to give you a life that you do not deserve to have. We've got one sermon. Every time we got one sermon, and God has spent thousands of years creating this instruction book to give it to us. And says, here you go. This is what you need. And yet, I like church members because I am a church member first and slow to get it. We often, as pastors, want to be just a grace bulldozer. Right? We want to we we be able to see immediate transformation. That's one of the reasons why I love working with my hands is because at the end of the day, you can go Boom. There it is. Right? There it is. Entertainment center. There it is. There's a a brand new table. And so that's part of my life is, you know, pattern of my life after Jesus. He was a carpenter. I'm trying. All right. So uh, you build this table and you can go, boom. There at the end of the day is a table. Ministry, you work you toil, you labor, you cry your eyes out, you stay up late at night, you toil, you labor, you do the same thing. It's like Groundhog Day. Every day, every day. And at the end of the day, there is nothing to show for it. But much like a rock on the shoreline, preaching of God's word, Though we as the pastors would would love to just see instant transformation. Hey, I told you what to do. Go do it. Let's go do it, church. Woo! And we all go do it, right? And it's like, let's go do this, church. Woo! And you're all like, hmm, maybe tomorrow. We'll get it next Sunday. Right? But like a rock on the shore, it's not one wave that forms that rock. It's the consistency of those waves over and over and over and over again that forms and shapes that rock. Brothers and sisters, by, you have been shaped by every sermon you have ever heard in your life. Good or bad. It's just been slow. And we want it to be fast. The war against preaching. What's it say? Verse 3, for the time is coming when well, people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I don't think that Paul is just simply saying, Hey, hey, Timothy, way out in the future in 2019. I think Paul is saying, Hey, brother, like in a week, right now. This is happening right now in your church, Timothy. It's going to happen before God is is all said and done with you, that there are going to be people in in the church at Ephesus that guess what they're going to do? They will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves other teachers. They're going to start listening to other people that this is not just going to happen in the future but this is going to happen now. We see here that people will not endure sound teaching. What does that mean? That we we will see an increase in our appetite for error rather than for truth. People will have itching ears. What does that mean? Some translation it literally means to like tickle the ear. <laughs> right? It's a weird kind of sensation we will have this this mentality within our churches that that we will it will not it will not stir the heart but it'll be easy to listen to and they they're, they're going to love it they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and we see this over and over and over again within the western church is that constantly, you know, and back in the day, uh, especially way, way back in the day, we didn't have the internet, you didn't have podcasts, you didn't know who a lot of other pastors were, right? But it's crazy how many times that you're having conversations with each other and with church people and even church people at other places, just people that you're working with when, when they're dropping John Piper bombs like they know them. Well, I, I know that you believe this, Pastor, but Stephen Furtick says blank. I know you said this, but... And I, was, I was reading some Joel the other day. All right. and, and and here's the thing. Is that we've had sermons. Pastor Justin, I heard, did a bang-up job of beating all those brothers up a few months ago when I was on sabbatical. He dropped some names. Um so you can go back and listen to that, all right? But, but here, here's what I'm getting at, is, is, is the, the gift of modern technology has also led to a lot of people being led astray, because in, instead of being pointed back to the word by your pastor, it's easy to gather troops against it by popular celebrity pastors, like they're the rook card. You ever played rook, right? Like they're the ace, And the thing is, that's dangerous, especially if they're wrong. But you got to know the word to know the difference. See, I feel really uncomfortable, and some of you have been in rooms with me where I felt like this. I feel really uncomfortable when I have to, to just use what I believe to be biblical wisdom mixed with opinion to give you an answer on something because I can't take you to chapter and verse. I like it where it is spelled out because you're arguing with it. You're arguing with the red letters. You're you're arguing with the black letters. You're arguing with this when I can say, "But but brother or sister, what about this right here?" And it gets really hard for me when I have to try to use biblical wisdom to come up with something to help you with. There's a great war against preaching. It's too long. Too short. And yet it has not lost its seriousness. It has not lost its charge. It has not lost its purpose. People will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander into myths. See, People will become numb to the preaching of God's word. Why is this so difficult, church? It's because we've become blind to it. I would suggest to you that that we, speaking of the American church, not not as a whole and, and prayerfully not at mission, and this is why we're preaching such things as this, is that as you move down the slope, wherever you are on the slope becomes the new norm, and it becomes the new truth. Insomuch that it leaves us all blind, even as a Christian culture, to the reality of the preached word, the reality of the Word of God, the reality of who God is. I mean, most people sitting in a lot of our churches within America, they don't know who God is. They don't know the God of the Bible. They've they've conjured up one and they've they've been able to find again good Christian books and in their opinion good Christian preachers in order to support a mentality. Needless, we don't have time this morning to go in the whole the fallacy of the prosperity gospel, and, and that the prosperity gospel, God isn't the God of the Bible. And, and the new norm, wrong. As we, we've, we've gotten off the centrality of Jesus and the centrality of the Word and that it's become very popular. I mean, confessional time, man, week after week after week, I have to fight the battle because I 100% believed in, in just my makeup, my personality, and my, my education that I could do things to fill this room up. And it had nothing to do with God. And had nothing to do with the Bible. But people would love it. I purposely restrain myself. I'm, you know, I was going to be an art major and all this sort of stuff. I purposely have to restrain myself for being overtly creative within the church. Because we will have a tendency to fall in love with the creativity instead of the Creator. Creator. It's a part of the fall. Not that creativity is bad, okay? But God gives us lots of good gifts that often put in our hands go awry. Musicians have to—we have to constantly worry about this as well, right? Laura was singing a song in our in our house yesterday, and it's a fine lyric to a song. There's a lot of beauty in the song, and and we didn't have this conversation but the people who wrote that song and made it popular, guess what they are? No longer Christians. Self-professed. We do not follow Jesus. There were worship leaders in a mega church. We do not follow Jesus. We do not believe any of this. And they wrote those beautiful lyrics that my wife was singing in our, church, in our house yesterday. You see how distorted this is? A demon is probably not going to show up at your house tonight, just so you know. Kids, nothing under your bed, except for lost Legos, right? Some dust bunnies. No demons probably going to show up. Now, they, they ring the doorbell. They show up in pulpits. They sit next to you in church. You listen to them on the Christian radio books. Pastors. They're called pastors. They're called deacons. They come as images of light. And yet they're dark. And that's, that's what we're wrestling with here. And that's why it's so deceptive. And that's why there's such a, a war on preaching. Wrong is right. Unbiblical teaching and living is the new norm. And so members have become obese on the toxic nature of this new church culture. How many of you guys like sugar? And I love sugar. Right? Have you ever tried to go about seven days while removing sugar from your diet? Like completely. Do you know how hard that is in America? Do you know why? Because we put sugar into everything. Like everything. Everything. I mean, I grew up in a household where you put a little sugar in your vegetables. You know why? Because they make vegetables taste good. Right? I don't mind unsweet tea, but I sure prefer sweet tea. Right? And, and much like sugar, it's, it's this thing that makes you obese. It makes you unhealthy. Right? And it's not just in a, sugar, it's not just in a candy bar anymore. It's in everything that we eat and drink. It's almost nearly impossible. And much like sugar has invaded all of our food, the the sugar of a false gospel, which is very palatable to us, we like the taste of it, we become addicted to it, and consumers of it has awful infiltrated the life of the church. And we don't know it. Because we're too busy to read the bottom back label of what's going on in our churches what's going on in the older rooms and because we don't know the word it's a serious problem it's a It's a war. I mean, let's let's face it. We've become bored with theology. We've become bored with sound doctrine. And yet Timothy is 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 he he's saying to this young Timothy, he's saying to him that no matter how the people are responding, you are supposed to preach. The word. We are not called, Timothy. You're not called to be a comedian. You're not called to give lectures. You're not called to entertain. You are called to preach, young Timothy. Preach the word, proclaim the word, scream the word, yell the word. It's serious business, folks. This is life or death. If this is the God breathed word of God, do you understand the seriousness of what is taking place? This is serious. Are you taking it serious? Are you taking the preached Word of God serious in your life? Or is this just something that you do? This is something that you attend, but no, this is life or death. What is also multiplied is this, this, this vending machine church culture where if you don't find like, what you're looking for, you don't like it, you just go down the road and you'll find a, sty- a style, an ambiance. And you can just start attending church there. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget, Jesus was a preacher. He was a preacher. Over and over, we see Him teaching and preaching over and over we see people coming to him and what's the first thing they say? Rabbi or they'll say things like teacher. They'll they'll call him by that. And we can often get worked up as I do, especially as a person with a high imagination is like, you imagine Jesus walking on the water, right? And you can lose the dialogue though. Or or Jesus healing the people and yet Lose what he's trying to teach, that all of the healing and the miracles and all those sorts of things were just to support what that he is the Son of God and that he is there to preach and proclaim what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, it's better to belong to a local body that preaches the word faithfully than a church that has great programs. We know the church sang, but we have no idea what style they sang. Right? So why are we fighting over it? There is no children's ministry. There's no children's ministry in the Bible. Are we anti-children's ministry? No. But you need to get this. There's no children's ministry, yet Jesus teaches what? Let the little children come unto me. There's, There's no youth ministry in the Bible, and yet... Many of the disciples were young men who left their jobs, left their homes and their parents to follow after Jesus. Why? So they could learn from his teaching. There's no women's ministry and yet Jesus has compassion on the adulterous woman and teaches her the true meaning of worship. There's no men's ministry and yet Jesus welcomes a man named Nicodemus. And what was Nicodemus? A teacher, There's no men's ministry, and yet Nicodemus, this is so many of us men need to hear this. Um, Nicodemus, who, who was a prideful teacher, and he was afraid and embarrassed to come to Jesus during the day, so Nick comes at night. He comes to Jesus, and he begins to ask Jesus all of these questions. And what does Jesus say? You've got to be born again. If we had time, I would read it this morning. But Nicodemus' response, do you you remember it? He says, How can this be? How can this be? And Jesus responds, He wasn't being a smart aleck. He says, Aren't you a teacher of this? Aren't you supposed to know this? And then we see the passage, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world. Right? What's He doing? He's preaching, He's teaching to a man and yet He never had a men's ministry. Is there anything wrong with any of those things? No. But they're never to replace The ministry of the word, if anything, they're to enhance those opportunities. So what's our response this morning? Why'd you come here this morning? Tradition, friends, family here, music style programs for kids. It's a big church. No, we don't like the big church. We like a small church. Parking. It's because we have an eight o'clock service. It's entertaining. Have you ever asked yourself, what makes for a really good, healthy, biblical church? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, and man, I, got, I, should, have, I should have put this into two sermons. I didn't. If we stripped everything away and all we had was the preaching of the word, we would still be a faithful church. But would it be enough? Would you love it enough to stay? This is the, or one of the most, and I know this sounds really self-serving because I'm the one doing this. This is one of the most important moments in your life. Every week. And all the other stuff that we do. Could be taken away. But if we don't pray. And we don't preach. Then we have lost our way. What value do you place. On the preached word. In your life. What posture. What preparedness what we call this in education, active listening? Are you engaging in order to be stirred by the preaching of God's Word? It's of great value. It's of great seriousness. And I pray that we as Mission Church would would learn that we as your pastors would become even better at preaching the word, we don't always hit the mark. And if we consistently don't hit the mark, you know what you need to do? You need to go somewhere else after you tell us we're missing the mark. Okay? If you wane and falter some, that's where you as brothers and sisters in Christ and that's where the elder body as well come around each other and say, hey, we've we got to pull this back in. I think we missed it here. That's what being a church family is like. That's what we do. Because we take the word of God so seriously. And I hope that we will here at Mission. I hope that we have, but I hope that it just we become robust in our love for the word of God and our preaching for the word of God because why? We love God. We love God. Let's pray.